Hello, and welcome to the Dad Jeans Podcast. My name is Didon, and along with my co-hosts, Brian and Harris, each episode will try to unpack, examine, and discuss the DNA of healthy fathering. While all three of us are fathers, the road to fatherhood has been different for each of us. It's our hope that those differences and the perspectives they bring will only add to the conversation. Thanks for listening. In this episode, the crew share their definitions of resilience, their fears as fathers, and discuss how to talk about tough topics with kids. But before we do that, let's check in. Before we get started, um, I just want to thank you guys. There is a lot going on. I mean, we pre-record these podcasts, so um, who knows what will be going on when the audience actually hears this, but just with the day-to-day, everything that's going on, it is a tough time. It is very easy to want to isolate yourself and just kind of carve out a space to to tune things out. And so I appreciate you guys leaning in to, to, to the show. Um, you yeah. know, I, no, I appreciate I, that, man. It's, Lord knows there are a lot of people in this world who, who don't give that kind of grace. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, no. That's true. Understood. And so um yeah, man, let's just uh do the best we can. Um speak from the heart and and let the chips fall where they were. Where they Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. That's what's up. So let's get a check in going. Harris, how you doing, man? Ah, uh, man. Um I'm okay. Um uh, you know, with this whole pandemic there was this moment when we were all trying to find a new rhythm. And I feel like as soon as I found that rhythm, then the riots started. And so I'm now finding another rhythm uh, with work and with family. Um, and, and that's going well. But the weight of, you know, not being on the front lines, like in in, in my previous life before kids, I was, you know, I was an organizer. That's what I did. I I was, you know, front and center. And now to be uh, just hearing about it via TV and social media, there's a part of me that feels like a, uh, I don't know if, if it's hypocrite, but um, I definitely feel like I should just be doing more. Uh, and there are a lot of things that I can do uh, but I got to admit, with coronavirus, uh, you know, today uh, announcement came out about all these new cases of coronavirus. Now, you know, there is a little bit of skepticism as to, you know, the people who protest immediately go get tested for coronavirus. I doubt it. So it's probably us opening up uh, a little too soon the week before. But that's still a very big concern. Uh, so. I've been thinking a lot about just getting back to my roots. Get, uh, and what I mean is getting back to uh, the phase of life when I was, when I felt most assured of who I am. Now, some of that is foolishness, of course, because I was in my 20s and, you know, all of us are just kind of silly and we think we got it all figured out. But uh, I was a big fan of stoicism, you know, and there's just this concept of, you know, stoicism is built around three concepts, fate, reason, and self-restraint. And uh, I just remember that phase of life when I, 
granted, it's easier to do it when you're a bachelor, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like, I don't know if everybody was up on that whole minimalist thing. And there was this running joke that was like, all men were minimalist, uh, minimalist at one point we were when we were bachelors. Um, but it feels like that. How can I get down to the basics while still balancing the family and the job and, and really just be aware of the core of who I am? And that exploration has been soothing in some ways, uh, getting back into the word. Uh, and honestly, just my wife being supportive of it all. So shout out to Mallory. I love you. And yeah, so I'm just doing the work. That's that's where I'm at. It's 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 the time for doing the work. So, so here's it here's the deal, Doc. If you own a Christmas tree stand, you're not a minimalist, and you can never become a minimalist again. <laughs> that's so. That's such a random and yeah, arbitrary no, no, line. No, no, no festive is in this house, right? Exactly. Festivus. Yes, Festivus with the cap, with the capital F. If you make a place 11 and a half months a year for a Christmas tree stand, which you're going to use for two, three weeks, then, mm. then it's, it's a wrap for you. And it's mm. cool. I just need you to own it. I, just I was need you just to about it. to say that. We, we just need you to own it. Yeah. Um, y'all acting like y'all saw it in my house or something. That, 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 hey, listeners, the tree thing is completely arbitrary. I have no idea where it's coming from. Hey, we saw the the space in his house. He just had a basket (laughs) over there when we went during the off-season. All you had to do was say, no, I don't. And you was good. You was clean, bro. That's it. I mean, we just judged Judy Jew right into that. You tell on yourself. Nah, look, there's so many other things. I'm literally looking at uh, accordion right now. (laughs) Okay. Now you're tripping. All right. All right. Why? I don't even know why we have this accordion, but it's here. So... just don't blame gotta, me for something I didn't do. You don't, <laughs> you don't have to tell us the secrets to keeping your marriage lively, bro. That's another show. That's a whole oh, other show. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I would love to hear that, man. The, the accordion ruse, <laughs> man. That's how you do it. Hey, hey, that's, man, that's too look, hot for a newlywed, bro. You got to be right. different. A couple more years. Man, gotta listen. Keep it spicy. <laughs> spicy. A harmonica coming. No, but I get it, man. I get it. I had a conversation this morning with um, one of my homegirls who is always on the front lines of everything. Hmm. And uh, she just got married and just started a new job. And she was like, I feel like a sellout because normally I'm the one. I'm there. But now that, you know, she has a wife and she has responsibilities and she has all of these other things that are pulling her in different directions, that doesn't make the cause any less important, but she's struggling to find her space in the cause because for so long it was a given that it was just going to be at the front. And it sounds Mm -hmm. like you're having that same challenge. Very much so. Very much so. Uh, So, yeah, I'm just trying to find what can I do and, one of the examples I've been thinking about is uh, for people who watch Insecure, uh, spoiler alert, uh, but um, the last episode, was they talked a lot about, well, Lawrence was a big part and we got to really see his character. And just one thing that he mentioned was how he realized that he doesn't have to be the guy 
And he was wondering why he ever even felt that he had to be the guy, like the CEO or the partner. And, you know, sometimes it's about making other people's vision uh, come to light. And I feel like that's what it means to be a father in a lot of ways. Um, now is the opportunity to make, you know, my wife's light shine, my children's light shine. And that doesn't mean mine doesn't get to shine, but I'm, I can't be self-centered anymore. Listen, there was a point in time when Dr. Martin Luther King Sr. realized that he might not be the man. Like, like his role yeah. was to raise the guy who would ultimately be the man. And, and not to say that he wasn't, you know, a pastor and dynamic and, and, um, and doing work in his own part. But yeah, at some point, there's a transition. And how we handle that transition can, can be interesting. Uh, sure. Brian, how you feeling, man? Mate, I was uh, just listening to some music. Okay. And, um, you know, it's funny how the universe works because what I was listening to resonated so much that I had to actually just stop and just kind of reflect. Um, and it was Illmatic, song number four, The World Is Yours. Um, okay. And Nas says... I need a new brother for this black cloud to follow because while it's over me, it's too dark to see tomorrow. Try to maintain flip, feel my click to the tip. People figure, what did he say next? Figure my people not eating to make my heartbeat skip and I'm amped up. Like all of that, like, you know, the depression and the anxiety and the frustration and it's like, I'm walking, right? But I'm slowed down. Mm-hmm. I'm smiling, but I'm not happy. Got that weighted blanket on. Right? And I'm like, I just need this to get off of me, but I don't want to give it to someone else. Mm. And so, you know, just with what's going on, man, I have found that my strength has come from my my wife, Faisal, who's just been great, man. And Okay. Uh, we've had conversations about what has been going on, and she's been assisting in filtering mm-hmm. some of the content by way of talking to me about it, sure. right? Because um, she knows me, right? And 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 I love her so much um, for many reasons. Before you know, the fact that she can understand my temperament and say, you know, this is not something I need to be sharing with you right now. So. Um, just been spending a lot of time in music and, you know, really been finding strength in music. Um, but, you know, I also have reclaimed, um, you know, my power in social media intake because mm. I have found it to be just overwhelming over the course of the last couple of days. Um, you know, the, the imagery, it's a brain dump. Um, it's a place for people to vent. And it's not healthy. Like last night I was on it up and up and probably until like midnight. And I'm like, why am I taking all of this in and trying to go to sleep? And I couldn't even sleep after some of the things that I had saw and some of the things that I read. So um, that's how I'm feeling right now. But, you know, I did something real dad today, fellas. Okay. So um, I went to Home Depot and it's a misconception that all men like going to Home Depot. Uh, me going to Home Depot uh, is like me going to Sephora. I don't know where to start. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So, okay. so so I needed to get a power washer. 
right? We needed to go ahead and power wash our stairs. So I knew that I could rent it from there. So I went, talked to the guy. The guy was cool. His name was Jose. Jose was so dope. So Jose came up to me. He was like, hey, yo, my man, what you need? I said, I need a power washer. He said, for what? I said, to clean some steps. He said, all right, come with me. So we social distance and he pulls out the power washer, pulls out the hose and pulls out the, the, the thing that looks like a, a gun. Here he goes. Connect this to this. Don't touch this. Turn this on. You're good to go. You ready? I said, man, <laughs> hell no. <laughs> Locked and loaded. I said, I, I said, I need for you to speak GED, dad, because I ain't on this PhD level stuff. So he said, connect this to this. Don't touch this. Touch this. You're good to go. So brought it to the car, came home, power washed the steps, um, brought it back. And it was just a good feeling being out there, man, with the machine. Uh, stairs look phenomenal. Just obliterating um, dirt. Man, listen, <laughs> I was sitting there like, man, what else can I power wash? What would happen if I'd use this on my hedges? <laughs> FYI, Sir. don't use a power washer on Sir. hedges. Fair. Sir. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Pro tip. Um, let's I'm just, pretty yeah, sure yeah. he did... You gonna go back? It's gonna be dirty. He's gonna be like, "God damn it!" Jose no, say, I, I, no, I told I, you. <laughs> no, I took it back, and uh, I waited till he uh, signed me out so I could get that final invoice, so there would be no damage. <laughs> um, so, so let's just hope that he doesn't listen to this episode because I think I don't know. Anyways, uh, that was one of the highlights today that actually got my mind off of some of the stuff, and you know. This is what fatherhood is all about, right? Like, it's not just, you know, being the husband and being the, the dad. Sometimes you, you do have to do certain things around the house. And that was one of the things that got me through today. So um, okay. happy you started had it. today on, on a good note. Okay, that's what's up. So, so listening to both of you, one thing that stands out is the value of having an a partner that understands what you need. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, it sounds like both of you guys have that. And I don't, let me be clear, I'm, I'm the single dad, but but this is not like a sneak diss to anybody. Um, like it's, it's just so important because to be stuck in this day and age, but also to be stuck in a pandemic and with everything that's going on, it, would, it just seems really, really challenging for the person who you lean on to be another uh, oppressive factor, that just seems like a lot. And uh, and I'm I'm yeah. glad to hear that that that's not the case for for the two of y'all. Now I haven't talked to y'all's wives. Um, hopefully they say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, watch it. But now. it's it's taking so much to get here. Sure. Um, Mallory and I have been together like. 15 years, I think, at this point. You know, married, married 10 will be 11 this year. Um, that's crazy <laughs> in and of itself. Uh, it's just amazing. Um, and when I think of all that it's taken for us to get to this point, because it wasn't always like this, especially year one, you know, year one of having a child. Um, it was like, do we even know each other? And the only word that I could think of is is grace. Um, but yeah, it's a divine grace because I know I fall short. Um, but at the same time, I give it back. And there's this moment, there are these moments when I think we even shock ourselves mm -hmm. and we're like, no, nah, it's okay. And it's like, wow, I said that? 
<laughs> you know, they do something that the the old you would have got mad at. You know, it's okay. And you realize because that's what you need. Right. Yeah. You know, that's exactly what I need. That's what's up. Um, and I mean, I was just thinking, you know, D-Don, I mean, you know, you're expressing that, you know, you're, you're not in that stage right now. So, I mean, what is it like hearing the two of us say, you know, oh, we got this anchor, like, well, you know, am I putting you on the spot? No, no, no. I, I'm fine with it. Um, because I'm so aware of all the very, not all the variations, of so many of the variations, I'm very much at peace with, with where I am and, 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 and not having that anchor um, because I've, I've been in relationships where that wasn't the case and, and maybe it was me. That that was the one that was that was wilding out. I don't think so, but you know, I accept that that's a possibility. And maybe, you know, we were both great, but just not for each other, uh, which mm. which is often the case. And so, like, I, I I'm in no hurry to to connect for the sake of connecting, but I'm for that reason because there've been so many misconnections. I've I appreciate hearing. Um, when those quality connections have been made. Um, and, and it's dope. I mean, thankfully for me, um, I'm having Ella keeps me ever present mm. and, and sure. I'm able to, to pour into that relationship. I, I will admit that there is a tendency to hide from the rest of the world and fatherhood um, which mm. which is not healthy, and so that's that's what I have to make sure that I'm not doing, because you know it's kind of like there's the thing that you enjoy, and then there's the stuff that you got to do. Um, I, I happen mm. to really enjoy being a father, but I have to do all this other stuff as well, and that other stuff is important and valuable, and so I, I need to make sure that I am, you know, making quality connections. Um, professionally and personally um, and interpersonally as well. Because, you know, in a couple of years, I was going to be like, mm, daddy, I got a date, holler. You know, and right. so, ah. you know, I, I know it's coming. But, um, but yeah, so I, I'm good where I am, but I, I can't help but smile as I hear you guys talk about where you are. Sure. And I think and you're I'm, sharing that too, sure. yeah, because, um, you know, it's, not often that we could recognize the gift that comes by way of, of a spouse being able to take us to that next level. And, you know, we as men may struggle to be able to have that muscle to know how to reciprocate that, but to have a constant partner that is, you know, showing you how they can tailor the approach um, helps, you know, can help us better refine how we do it. There's a lot of missteps on our part uh, because maybe the delivery is not great. Maybe we don't do it in the right time. Maybe we're self-centered when we do it. But, you know, this is a constant training of being the best and being able to pull out the best in your partner. And communication is that number one piece. So I'm just glad that the acknowledgement um, can help us see the gift that we have. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, man. Um, you know, and there's the consistent work, whether you're married or engaged or um, or single, that we're doing in ourselves. 
you know, and we owe it to those who count on us to continue to work on ourselves so that, you know, if we're married, we can continue to bring our best. If we are parents, we can continue to bring our best. And if we're, you know, single and without kids, we can be our best for ourselves. So, um, so a, a couple people hit me up this week. Um, and they asked a question that I wanted to throw to you guys to see if you had any insight on. Um, they asked, how do you talk about the stuff that's going on in the news to your kids? And I know, Harris, you have, you have two daughters that are old enough to, to begin processing. And Brian, I know Nas is a little young for current events, but I know that you, know, you spent years in the classroom. Um, so talking to kids about age-appropriate stuff is something that you're familiar with as well. I wanted to know if you guys had any insight. B, I'll let you go first. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I can remember vividly sitting and read aloud and having kids ask questions about current events. And one thing that I found is that kids are naturally curious oh. and kids have an awareness uh, whether consciousness or, or subconscious, conscious or subconscious, of, of, of what's going on. And so when my students have brought things to me, I've just let them talk, right? I've let them ask the questions. But as an educator, I've also been okay with letting them know that sometimes I don't know the answer or letting them know that I have fear or that this is really exciting. And we go down the, the rabbit hole of, of trying to find what is not only age appropriate, but what can be retained mm. into mm. making sense of that current situation, right? And so if kids know that their parents are watching CNN, it's okay to ask a kid, well, are you able to comprehend that information? Well, no. Well, let's see what time for kids have, right? Or, or let's see what we can find in an age appropriate website. And so- you know, it's always good to be just an active listener with children, um, you know, because I taught third grade for a very long time. But I remember when I taught kindergarten in New York and I found instantly that it doesn't matter what age kids are when they are in school. They have an awareness that you have to be able to open the floor to be able to let them communicate. And what you don't want to do is not talk about it. Because not talking about something gives it a level of um, intrigue, yep. an intrigue where, as we're saying right now with our white allies, if you are silent, you're complicit, right? And so what we want to just make sure that we do is just encourage our kids to be able to ask the questions, don't be embarrassed, engage with them and say something. No, that's real, man. Um, no, I'm 100% with you. It's funny because we have an abuela in the house. <laughs> and my mom, man, she's at that stage where I want to just take her phone. You know, like driving isn't the issue, it's social media. And I'm like, oh, wow. she just gets she gets so mad at, you know, our president and um and just what's going on with the world. And and she always watching Judge Judy and then <laughs> great show Steve by the Harvey. way great show <laughs> Steve Harvey I mean, what was it Family Feud we just call it Steve Harvey you know how we do um, <laughs> like Red Kool Aid 
So it's funny because she going to say what she got to say. Uh, she's going to say, you know, how she feel about whoever, whenever. And, and then, you know, Mallory and I got to deal with the fallout. <laughs> and at first, I was annoyed by it. And sometimes I'm still annoyed by it. But I remind myself everything that B just said, you know, like, we can't shield our kids from everything. Um, and I, I'm often impressed, not just by them asking about what's going on, but their amount of clarity um, and, and appropriateness to how it applies to their life. Yeah, you're talking about COVID nineteen. Uh, you know what, what? What does it mean for them to see their friends again? Uh, you know, questions about like how we get our food and I ordered a pizza. Is that safe, Daddy? I was like, stop asking <laughs> these personal questions. You want you hungry or not? Uh, <laughs> you know, but I mean, <laughs> well, it wasn't for them. That's why. But uh, <laughs> I'm grown. But uh, it's. I am going to, we do speak to them about these issues. Sometimes they're exposed to things before I'm ready. But I just remember when I was a kid and, you know, sex ed was this big conversation that people were afraid to have. And it was so ridiculous because, you know, I thought I had known what I needed to know. And the streets aren't going to teach you the things that you should know. And I remember when I finally did start to learn, you know, the right way around sexual awareness and self-awareness, I was like, man, had my people, had the schools taught me about this earlier, I would not have been believing this foolishness for so long. So I still have that approach. Um, Even, and it seems like I'm going a little bit sideways, but I'll bring it back, but like, we have a counselor and our family counselor, one thing that she talks to, uh, she told us early on is like, you don't use funny names for their body parts. You know, that's the vagina, you know, that is your, your butt or your, you know, because if anything did happen and there was a situation where it was like a court of law, if they were to use a word like their bottom or anything like that, someone could actually say, you know, can say that, well, that doesn't mean what we all right. think it means. Right. So, and and it's not coming from a state of fear. Some people may hear this and be like, oh, well, you just living your life afraid. It really isn't. For me, it's a <clears throat> state of awareness. And... I'm okay with my children being aware. Uh, I think gone are the generations of feeling like hiding is helping. I still work very hard for my children to feel safe. Uh, And I believe that the safety comes from them having a secure household, an honest father, and someone to even help them through the things that they don't understand, even if it takes months for it to register or years um, as they become more developmentally sound. No, I appreciate you um, actually taking a long way around because you, you created context that I think is valuable to understand that. Um, one of the things I came across was there's a podcast um, that NPR puts out called Life Kit for Parenting. And 
they have an episode mm-hmm. called When News is Scary, What to Say to Kids. And, you know, you can listen to the episode, but they they put out three really, really good, um, a, a good list. And so I'm just going to run through it really quick. Um, number one is limit their exposure to breaking news. You know, it's one thing to talk about news with your kids, but and it, and it, particularly now when everybody's at home, you know, having this round the clock news cycle, kids may hear something way before it's you're ridiculous. ready for them to hear it. And, yeah. and you know, Lord forbid yeah. they see something that you are not ready for them to see, you know. Um, so that's the first one. The second one was start off with where your kids are, you know, what, ask them questions. You know, what do you know? Because Absolutely. you might go yep. into an explanation yep. and they might be like, wait, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> I was talking about this Absolutely. other thing. <laughs> um Number three is maps can be useful. So when kids are getting contact, um, getting their mind wrapped around concepts, you know, this is where we are. You know, this is Georgia. This is Minnesota. This is Louisville. This is New York. You know, um, or this is where we live, and this is downtown where the road, the, you know, where the protest is. Uh, yeah, right. around <laughs> Look, the corner. That's the CVS across the street that was broken into. <laughs> Um, so maps can be useful is number three. Number four was don't be afraid to admit what you don't know. Brian, you touched on that. I think it's perfect. Um, identify the helpers, you know, rarely in a situation is there no one who's out there trying to do something positive. So showing the helpers, Mm -hmm. it doesn't candy coat the situation, but it shows your kids that things are not, things are not, um, it's not an impossible situation. It's not hopeless. And, you know, have conversations about how you can hope. So it's a good episode. I recommend it. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. But, um, and I think it, the reason why I brought it up here is because I think this helps to give, um, to create resiliency in our, in our children. And as we talk about um, building resiliency, I think how we communicate and how we talk to kids about tough things that are going on plays a big part in that. So um, if you guys are ready, let's, let's jump into that conversation. Let's do it. Yeah, it's just funny as you're going through the list. Uh, I think I will always have kind of this turn this internal check about um, you know, but don't hide them from too much because, but it's because I was exposed to a lot growing up in Baltimore uh, at a very young age. Uh, my parents worked, uh, so um, it's funny. A lot of people don't know this term. I found out. But I thought everybody knew it, but a latchkey kid. Uh, Man, my nickname was Latchy in my family, <laughs> literally. Uh, there's something to be said about, you know, having to be home. And when you're home by yourself, you know, you're like, so what's on HBO? You know, I mean, like, it's just things that children will do. Right. And I don't know. It's, I, yeah, I'm old enough now to know that all that exposure wasn't great, but at the same time, it just played a, a role for me to know what I knew and the experiences that I had, and and I wouldn't give those up. So I I just I struggle with this balance of, you know, I don't. Of course, I'm not going to expose them to everything, and I'm going to trust my gut, and you know, I'm I'm educated, and you know, I know blah 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 blah. But at the same time, I do feel like. Man, we can't be raising a generation of punks. <laughs> like, 
I struggle with that because there's just some things that, you know, definitely now as an adult, I'm like, oh, that was trauma. Okay. Uh, No, I don't want to give my kids urban PTSD. It's a thing. Uh, But at the same time, resilience, sometimes resilience comes from that fall. And I don't think it's bad for them to fall sometimes, you know? So I like to see it, but yeah. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you started with that because I I wanted to share a story. So I have a homegirl and she grew up in Harlem and she grew up in Harlem in the 80s and 90s. So whatever Mm -hmm. that means to you, that's where she was at that time. (laughs) And, you know, she made it out, um, went to school, went to another school um, and is doing well for herself. She lives in a D.C. suburb and she's raising her son and he's 13 and his awareness level is very low. And, and you know, I, I've interacted with the young man and she says, you know, he would never survive in Harlem. I was like, well, one, very few people would. In, I said, know, but like, two, yeah. you don't just get Harlem survival school skills from anywhere else in the world other than if you grew up in Harlem. Really? Like, so he's not being socialized to understand how to catch four trains to school. Yeah. He doesn't even know how to catch the bus, but there's no bus in his neighborhood. Right. And, and, and that's so, okay. yeah, because why would you give him skills for circumstances that aren't his challenge? So he won't be stuck. Yeah. And but, let him navigate his own terrain, right? Like, I think we need to have the grace to understand that our kids aren't us. So that, and, and that's the point, right? Because mm-hmm. I believe, and here's my theory, I'm going to just throw it out there because it is raw. I believe that our parenting style and and those things that we seek to guard our kids against are directly connected to our own fears. Trauma and insecurities. Listen, let's build on it. And so with that, what is your definition of resilience and what role does fear play in it? I I ain't even calling names, so whoever's ready could just jump in. The will to see a setback as an opportunity, right? Like you are going to fail at some things, but then what? And the the time that it takes for you to recover, what skills do I have as a parent to build you up? What internal clock and skills do you have to say, I need to go ahead and put all of this back together so I can keep going? That's just the definition that Um, you know, especially coming from a former elementary school teacher. Sure. Right? Like, listen, you got a 7 out of 10 on your spelling test. It's a minor setback. But we have to look at this as an opportunity to now get 8 out of 10. Okay, so B, I'm I'm going to hit it back over to you. What, if any, role does fear play in your definition? Fear is natural. Like what I would often tell my students is fear is, is very common to all the emotions that we have. They just happen to live in a toolbox. But the difference between fear and some of the other emotions is that when it comes out, you feel that it's cripp- it, it can cripple you. So fear plays a role in that however you utilize your supports, whether that support is a teacher, whether that support is a friend, whether the support is a parent, to help alleviate whatever that fear may be and how that fear is coupled with support, 
right? That's why I think that with this life parenting kit, I know we have six, but I think number seven should be any parent or guardian or adult saying that it is going to be okay, right? And so if a fear develops, what supports are then in place from guardians, friends, or adults that can then let you know that the risk is now trying to overcome that fear, but you know that you are supported? Okay. So reassurance. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like it. Um, this is concept that I have. Uh, I say... You know, when you close your eyes, there are only two people there, you and God. And you can only try to lie to one of those people. Try to lie. (laughs) And so what I really work with my girls on is, is honesty and having the courage to be honest. Um, You know, kids go through this lying phase. And it's fear. You know, they don't want to get in trouble. They don't want you to be disappointed with them. And I I talk a lot about the courage it takes to be honest. um, And and what comes with that. You know, that, you know, with the courage of honesty also is integrity. Um, You know, of course, there's always that little person in the back of my head that's like, but the street's uh, but I still believe that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if that if they can, you know, most of all to thine own self be true, uh, that that would like bleed into so much. You know, even even them deciding who they want to be. You know, can they be honest with themselves about their skills and abilities and talents uh, and yet still dream? Um, so the fear part is my own growing up and i just remember uh i'm an intj y'all so for people who understand what that mean uh it's my personality type uh, i still think about things from when i was like four like they're still etched in my mind uh and you know there's this thought about once this this girl asked me um if she could have some of my candy and i remember appropriate lie for that age. I was like, see, my dad gave me this sticker and the sticker's a camera and he would see if I gave it to you. And she was like, don't lie to me, just say no. (laughs) Okay. I I didn't even know that was an option. You know? Um, But, you know, even at that early age, I was like, yo, why do I feel the need to lie? You know, let me not be a coward and and be honest enough and not just to tell the truth, but to also hold other people accountable. Uh, so, you know, my fear is to not be viewed as uh, someone who's either unreliable or, um, you know, a liar. And, and you know, again, I I had to come to terms with, okay, is that a focal point just because of my own insecurities? And it's like, eh, maybe, you know, 80, 20. Um, but if that was the life experience that God gave me, um, yeah, I'm going to share that with my kids and hopefully it equips them for something that's beyond my reason. You know, like there's a point where you just had to have faith that your life experiences prepared you for your children. 
So can I can I ask a, a probing question? Uh, sure. My man Harris. So I know you, you just said that, um, you know, not to live our lives as a lie, but we all work in professional capacities and it's very difficult for us to be able to show up authentic as black men in white dominant spaces. Talk about it. And, and some would challenge that by saying we're, we're living a lie, right? Because we put on this costume um, and it takes me back to like this Nikki Giovanni and I think it was James Baldwin um, conversation where uh, Nikki says, you know, you go to work and you live this lie. When you come home, don't lie to me. Mm-hmm. Right. So and so how, how do you combat trying to set up a foundation to help your kids understand not to lie when we as black people, when we go into our corporate spaces, when we go into some of our social spaces, if we show up as being authentic, we can scare white people and then experience a Karen or experience something else. So I think part of that, I, I don't downplay the importance of survival. And that I think that when I made my statement about street smarts, that's what I that's what I was talking about. Uh, like, yeah. th- there's a survival piece where I have to do what I have to do. Um, I just want my children not to lie to themselves about it. Um, I'm sure we all have friends who, yeah, they they they're playing the game, but sometimes they get, um, yeah, when they start lying to themselves, you're like, huh, should I tell them now? And honestly, with me, I don't have many friends that I can't be authentic with. Uh, I just don't have the bandwidth, and my face is gonna, my face is gonna betray me. Um, I, I remember in middle school, this young lady told me something one day, and I, I thought I was just looking at her, and she said, "Don't look at me like that." And I was like, "What am I looking at you like?" And she was like, "Like you are so ignorant." And I was like, "Oh my god, that's exactly what I was thinking." <laughs> you know? like, Maybe so you're not I mean. Ignorant. <laughs> What was going on now is I what I've done is I've been looking for jobs that um, I can be my authentic self. And it's hard. You know, there's sacrifices. I may not be able to make as much money in a position where I could be that authentic or um, it just might be a lot of heavy lifting to be that authentic all the time. Because sometimes when you're that authentic in some spaces, if you're the only one that is that way, um, you will become a pariah and an outcast. Uh, but I just, it's I'm an empath. And I, I said that in some of the early episodes, I viscerally feel um, my feelings as well as the feelings of others. And I'm, I'm going to wrap it up quickly. There's a thing about empathic people that I don't know if any of y'all study this or know about, but a lot of people, when they first meet me, they're like, yo, they tell me this, you know, years later, I really wasn't feeling you when I first met you. And I laugh now because I learned that as an empath, you have the ability to mirror people to themselves. And what that does is, you know, people work real hard to show you their ambassadors. So when you come in the room and you just feel what everybody's feeling and you, you know, inadvertently call people out on what you just observed and didn't know you weren't supposed to talk about, they don't like you. You make them uncomfortable. I don't know any other way to be. Um, but the way that it has helped me is 
people always seem to come back later and say, you know, I wasn't feeling you in the beginning, but I trust you more than anybody else in this space. And that has always been the case no matter where I've been. Yo, there's so much uh, positive food for thought in, in, in what you guys just shared. For, first off, before I even forget, I will put a link to that, that the short version, because there's like a 10-minute version and a 50-minute version of that Nikki Giovanni, um, James Baldwin yeah. conversation. And yeah. the, the thing is, like, we always see James Baldwin as this perfectly spoken, right, powerful, right. like, poignant right. speaker. And she's like, nah, so, nah. Exactly. You, you need, you, this is what you owe me. And it was, it was so amazing um, to see that, that exchange. I think it's really valuable for, um, for relationships or, or even for just introspection. Um, so I'll definitely make sure to put a, a, a link to that in the show notes. Thank you for bringing that up, Brian. Um, no doubt. You know, Harris, one of the things that, you, that I thought about while, while you were talking is my, my own definition. And it, my definition is simple. It's just the ability to rebound. You know, um, my, I remember my first semester uh, in college, there were people who didn't do well. And they were just to pieces. And I remember <laughs> thinking like, what's going on? And they're like, oh, you know, I got a B or I got a C or whatever it was that was reflective of them not doing well. And I was, <laughs> you know, I was an okay student. I certainly was not a student who never got a B or a C or a D prior to college. And so I was like, yeah, but there's more school. Like, it's, it's not over. <laughs> like, and, and I just remember thinking, man, I, I never want to be taken out of the game that early. Um, mm-hmm. You know, or, or not being able, and, and that's my fear. And, and that's, so in speaking to my fear, my fear is that my daughter's plan A won't go as, as she imagined or dreamed and, and there'll be nothing else because she'll be so distraught. So, you know, it's, that's why I have kind of this shotgun approach to fatherhood where it's we'll do a little bit of this, we'll do a little bit of that, we'll do a little bit of this because mm-hmm. I want you to be resilient because if plan A, which I, I know very few people for whom plan A has worked, but I want you to know that there's a whole nother list of things and I want you to be able to trust that plan A might not have just been for you. You know, that might have just been yeah. what you wanted with your limited scope, but, you know, the universe or God uh, had a different plan for you. And so, um, so yeah, uh, that that's for me. Um, I do, I do want to ask this question. You know, we talked about these fears that we have, um, and Harris and Brian, you guys will have different perspectives because Brian, you're still at the front end of yours. How do you plan to guard against imparting your fears in Nas? And I, and I ask you first, particularly because. You know, he's a young black boy and, and, you know, you are, I'm 5'11", you're bigger than me. So um, if people are calling me big man, they, 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 they're looking straight up at you. Um, and, and, and I know that carrying, carrying um, stature and having a deeper voice, it comes with a trade-off in the professional world that you have to always be aware of. 
Um, so without answering the question that I'm asking you, I'm just curious what what thought or what um, strategies do you have to to not to communicate to Nas, but not to impart your fears and to make your fears I mean, his articulated fears. that that size conundrum so well because I've always been the tallest, the the largest in in every room, um, and and my presence is something that people often speak on. So. When Nas was being measured for his three-month and six-month and nine-month checkup, he was registering at the 99th percentile <laughs> in everything. Okay. And I was just like, man, oh, that's awesome. He's about to be 6'9", 260. Like, this is, man, he's my meal ticket, right? <laughs> but it wasn't until, you know, we saw him playing with other kids that I realized how big he was. And that instantly turned into fear. Mm. And I started to have anxiety attacks because I quickly started thinking about how I was subjected to when I was in kindergarten, all the kids had tables, but I had a desk, like my teacher. So I had drawers at five, right? (laughs) And I would get picked on by the kids because I couldn't fit under the small tables. And so what that prompted me to do was make myself smaller. And I would make myself smaller when I dated. I would make myself smaller when I would go into bars. I would make myself smaller when I would go into the workplace. So like skinny jeans? I mean, yeah, Euro fit. You know, I was trying to, I was, I was trying to go ahead. I was keeping it John B okay. back in the 90s. That's what's you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, if I sneezed, you know, watch out. But um, but it's it's going to be a struggle, man, because, you know, I, I struggle with anxiety, period. And this is when I lean on FISA, right? Because FISA's expertise um, is just a lengthy, you know, history with, um, you know, understanding the mind and understanding how the mind is developed by society. And leaning into her and helping, you know, she will help sort of the both of us figure out the best ways to navigate, um, you know, how A, if I'm projecting, call me out on that, Mm. right? Um, If I am projecting and it's not the right time for us to have this conversation in front of Nas, pull me back to that moment when we have our conversations for a follow-up to help me see how I can reverse what we did. Um, But I also know that I need to go ahead and talk about what my anxieties are when it comes to raising Nas as a black boy to her personally, right? You know, we we had a very candid conversation recently about society will not see Nas as an interfaith biracial boy. They will see him as a black boy. They'll see him as a and black man, even when he's like- As a black man, that's true. That is definitely true. Yeah. They, they will see him as a black man. And helping her family recognize that me as a black man is I'm suffering by way of, what is, of, of what's currently happening in these days and time and what national um, issues are taking place are our family issues and the support from the extended family in supporting not only Nas and Pfizer, but also in supporting me will help us build the foundation for us to be able to push through all of this, right? So yeah, you know, I am claiming that he is biracial. But as soon as he leaves his house, 
that all goes out the door. So, you know, I feel that the roundabout way is I need to communicate with Pfizer consistently. I need to go ahead and make sure that I am not projecting. And I need to make sure that I am raising him with Pfizer support so that he is not taking on my energy transference and making that his blanket, his weighted blanket now. I got you. So, so Harris, you're on the other end of the, pers- of the spectrum. You have two daughters. Um, what, if any, fears do you have as, as a father of daughters? And how do you go again? How do you make sure that you aren't um, weighing them down with your fears? So my, my oldest daughter has my personality, which is, um, again, raw nerve. I feel everything. Um, and I love everyone. Uh, even when they have proven themselves to be undeserving. Um, and you know, some may say no one can really do that, but, um, you know, if you look at it in the biblical sense, but yeah. And I know that, or I experienced that, um, you know, being a man, um, I was able to slide uh, in a lot of places where I am not 100% sure that, you know, a young lady can slide, a woman can slide. So, for example, um, you know, it took me a while to really learn self-worth. Uh, when I was younger, um, I was the chubby black African kid who didn't really understand what it meant to be, you know, African, Latino, um, you know, amongst all my black peers. So it, I was just, I felt like an outcast and, you know, a person who's an outcast who just wants to be loved and wants to be accepted. Um, I, I put myself in a lot of vulnerable positions and I have that fear that um, my daughter could get taken advantage of, that she could find herself in a position with, you know, a a boyfriend or even a husband um, who is, um, you know, abusive or, you know, just not showing uh, the type of love and respect that she deserves because, you know, she wants to love them um, despite their shortcomings. Uh, again, it's like, yo, I've already catastrophized and projected into her. <laughs> <laughs> it's her married life with kids. Um, so so that that is my fear that, um, you know, just the way that I've experienced humanity uh, to be and to have, you know, such a similar personality, which, you know, again, she, I think she has that personality, you know, but, and it's just, all of those things are in my mind to some degree. Uh, but again, like I say, I teach from life's experience. So what I lean on to get through that fear is, um, so, as a Christian, I believe in, 
you know, Christ. I believe in, you know, God and, um, you know, with my Afro-Latino roots, I do believe in our ancestors. And I believe those ancestors are the angels that people speak of. Um, I also really believe that those angels are stronger than any demon out there. And, you know, in TV and all this stuff, they they have us thinking that these demons um, are so powerful. But the truth of the matter is, you know, if, if our angels are agents of the creator, that they have so much more power. So I believe in evoking the power of the angels, our ancestors, um, when I'm not around. And, you know, so that's on the spiritual realm with my prayers. And in the physical realm, I'm going to make sure that she will never question what love looks like and what does an authentic love look like. Um, I'll love on her every day when she's afraid. I'll allow her to speak her mind and, you know, we'll talk through it. I'll teach her what's appropriate, what's inappropriate. But she will never, my goal is to never have her feel like, um, you know, she she doesn't have a space, you know, um, to go back to. Like, even if she did something crazy and one day had to call me at 2 a.m. in the morning because she ended up some some ridiculous, I want her to still feel like she could still call me. And you know what, dude? When and if she's ever in a situation where love don't feel right, she'll have a frame of reference to say, Mm-mm, That's what I mean. That, this ain't it. <laughs> this ain't it. My fear is that, and and it sounds very similar to yours, Harris, which doesn't strike me as odd because I too am raising a daughter. Um, I my fear is that she won't understand her own worth and value Mm -hmm. because when a person doesn't understand their worth their decisions reflect other people's values. Yes. And, um, you know, even though we tried to stay away from it, um, when we talked about, when Ella and I talked about what happened um, with George Floyd, we, we talked about the officer that just stood by, or the officers, Mm. but the one at the front of the camera. Who, who stood by and didn't do anything, yeah. you know? And when, when you don't understand what your power is, what you don't understand what your role and your responsibility is, um, then your actions reflect somebody else's values. And maybe maybe I'm being too kind. Maybe his actions did reflect his values. I, I have no idea. Um, but I want her to be able to be in a crowd and say, this crowd ain't for me. Or you know what? What you're doing is wrong, and I'm going to speak to that if I'm the only one in the room, if I got everybody yeah. behind me, if I got nobody behind me. Um, and Courage. I know that what I'm doing is the right thing, and I'm going to sleep well at night. you know. And not a person who just goes around blowing up stuff, because there are those people too, but just a person who knows her own value. you know. Um, so hopefully in relationships, you know, in professional circumstances with a boss that never appreciates you, I know my value. I'm not leaning on you 
to recognize in me that which I see in myself. You know, that particularly for um, women, and, and I, I believe even more so for women of color, I think that there are so many competing interests to try to place their value on, on them that mm. that inability to reject those notions and to identify for yourself those notions that that are important to you i think is such an um, incredible skill so that's that's what i'm trying to to give to her um and it will and that's my concern and so that's that's why when we talk about being resilient those are the things that we're trying to fortify um my last question before we wrap up and this is just a quick hitter and and i'll jump in first um the question is, you know, resilience is a moving target. And, and I just wanted you guys to maybe drop one or two things that are your indicators for success or, or that things are at least going in the right direction. So for me, um, that indicator is her, be able, her ability to speak her truth to me. You know, I know that I'm an authority figure to, to her. I know that there is a desire not to disappoint me or her mother. But if Ella can speak to me, and can defend herself and to stand up for herself to me, um, then my hope is that we're, she has the tools, you know, and she's honing the tools and she's figuring it out. So I don't know if you guys have, have other things or if there are things that you want to use as indicators. Um, just courage. You know, I think I, I really feel like courage is the underlying piece. Um, fear is normal. Uh, it's okay to be afraid, but courage is the ability to act and do the right thing in the face of fear. Um, so that's my hope that, you know, I, I get to the point where, you know, fear isn't a deal breaker. Uh, fear is a natural part, um, but it's part of the journey, not a destination. You know, and to be a thermostat instead of a thermometer, um, you know, as again, you know, as an empath, there's a difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Um, so she may have a tendency to ride the wave of the emotions around her, but I want her to understand that you can still love yourself and love others and take a role in creating the atmosphere around you as opposed to just being a member of what's happening around you. So b before we go to Brian to close us out, Harris, could you just spend a moment talking about what it means to be a thermostat instead of a thermometer? That's one of my favorite phrases, and I just want to make sure that people understand exactly what you mean by that. Well, I mean, to keep it quick and simple, you know, a thermometer will take on the heat of, you know, what's, what's around it, whereas a thermostat actually sets the temperature. Um, so I, you know, she doesn't have to be the force that, you know, molds everybody into X, Y, and Z. But, you know, if she indeed turns and ends up being an empath like myself, um, hopefully she will be able to use those skills to, you know, you're in a room and there's something that doesn't feel right. She'll be the one to, to have enough confidence to move that chair or to move that, um, you know, whatever that blockade is, and everybody will be able to exhale. Um, you know, that's, our, you know, Whatever way that reveals within her, uh, I just want her to have enough courage to lean into it. Thank you. B, what you got? Um, so Nasser, 
uh, when defined, means to guide, to protect, to protect, to help, and victory. And one of those is to help. And I want Nas to know that he can come to me for anything. Um, you know, we often joke, and, and this is misogynistic, but we talk about girls having daddy issues and mommy issues. But we all can sit here and talk about the conflicts that we have with our dads. And I wasn't the greatest communicator when it came to leaning into my dad for help. And this is something that I regret to this day. But I want Nas to know that if he has been tasked with helping others, I want him to know that he can lean on me for my help. And ultimately, the help that we provide each other will lead to the protection. And that's a win, right? Like that is a true win to know that I have a son that can talk to me about anything. And this is why even at him being two years old, I am letting him know how daddy feels. I am taking mindful moments with him. I am talking about being sad and I'm talking to him about being happy because I want the vulnerable conversations to just be normal and natural. And so, um, of course, taking everything that you guys just said, putting that in a toolbox, but also knowing that he can lean as a black man on me to help him, which will also in turn help me better navigate this thing we call life. That's dope. And, and those normal ranges of emotions will just be the context by which he communicates. You know, Absolutely. they won't be extraordinary. That's awesome. Absolutely. So as we wrap up, gentlemen, um, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning out here on faith. Is there anything that is giving you inspiration and hope <laughs> these days? Yes. Oh, Lord, Lord. Can I, can I jump in? Yes, okay. please. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I am preparing Nas for rap videos because I bought him a Maserati. Okay. The, or not I. The, the, his in-laws bought him a Maserati. Now, hold on, folks. It is a motorized car, and it has a Bluetooth speaker. And this kid has been driving in this motorized car around the neighborhood. It goes three miles an hour. Topless. So it's, a, <laughs> I mean, and it is topless. It, it's white. Um, but it's just been so fun seeing the wind whip through his hair, him have one hand on the steering wheel and the other on the side of the car. I think he picked that up from me now that he's frontward facing in his driver's seat or in his, in his car seat. I um, love it. It's kind of scary. Um, but no, I mean, you know, that has been the joy in the midst of these tough days, knowing that he wants to get in his car, as he calls it. Um, so that's, that's given me the inspiration, just still having the opportunity to hang out with it, kick it with him, um, and just give him a different mode of transportation. Hey, I know that's right. Look, two podcast episodes ago, he was on a tricycle with a stick. <laughs> And now, right. now he is in a, a white drop-top Maserati with Bluetooth Maserati. speakers. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Look oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, that's... <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, that's what's up. Uh, Harris, I'm sorry you have to follow that. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thanks, Brian. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so, so I bought my daughter's a helicopter. Right, 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 right. And Harris looked at the glitter he had on the table and said, I ain't even talking about this. Man, listen. Um, the little things. Uh, Stella today. Uh, my youngest, um, she has this little purse. So Stella, like, some kids don't know how to play. I don't know if people know that. Like, some kids don't know how to play. My oldest, she doesn't know how to play. I didn't know how to play. Like, I only wanted people. Stella, I, I didn't think kids actually played with toys because we bought all these toys for my, my oldest, and she was just not in- interested. Then the youngest comes in, and she's playing, and we're like, oh, it is real. So today, Stella just said, Daddy, you know, let's play. And she has this little purse, this little Minnie Mouse purse that her aunt got her. And um, it has a key. And she said, this purse is only for us two. You know, it's only for the two of us. And no one else can know what's in this except for us. Um, And... We get to play together. And she had this scarab inside. Um, I think she was trying to scare me. <laughs> but <yeah. laughs> she was just so happy, man. And um, no, that's what's up. it felt so good. It, it felt, I never want to know what it's like to not be desired in that way. I know it's coming, but. Oh, man, it was a good feeling. That's what's up. That's dope. That's dope. So, other end of the spectrum. Um, Ella is on punishment, right? And <laughs> and has been since, let's see, this is day five of, this, this is day five, and this is the last day. And when I put her on punishment, you know, I was stern. No TV. No Netflix, no Disney, no iPod, no iPad, no laptop, no technology. Don't touch anything with a plug but your lamp. No music. You can read, you can do art supplies, and you can write letters. My child looked at me and said, so it's like the 90s? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, keep your straight face. Don't lose it. Don't lose it. And I was like, yeah, it's going to be like the 90s up here. And, um, mm. oh, and you just missed an opportunity to educate. Wait. And I was like, um, also, no toys <laughs> and no dolls. Right. So I hear her playing in her room a little later. And so I go into her room, you know, like, like the, well, I was going to say like the law, but not like the law. I go in the room like I was going to, like, like a parent. <laughs> And um, with the quick, fast door opening, and she turns and looks, and she has drawn uh, paper dolls and cut them out. And said, you said I could, you know, do art supplies, and so I made dolls. And um, I sat with her, right, because the, the goal was not for her to be miserable, but the goal was for her to really internalize the things that she had done that had fallen outside of you know, her mother and my comfort zone. But as we talk about resilience, 
um, you know, that kid's got it in spades. And the challenge is, you know, how do I, how do I punish her when necessary without dimming her light? Um, mm-hmm. But all indications are that um, we, so far, we've we've found the right mix, and uh, she's got the right spirit. So that gives me hope. Um, she says punishment is terrible. She never wants to be on it again. I tell her punishment for her is punishment for me too, and I can't wait for her to get off. But that's up to her. And um, looking forward to having a good weekend with both of us off punishment uh, this coming weekend. So <laughs> that's a wrap. So, fellas, man, thank you. Um, to be honest, I wasn't sure how this pod was going to go. Not because of you, just because these are very tough times, you know. But yeah. um, we committed to each other. We were able to lean on each other, and, and I'm happy. Um, this has been the Dad Jeans Podcast. Uh, today we talked about resilience and as always we love hearing from our listeners so if you agree if you disagree if there's something that you'd add to what we said if you heard the Nikki Giovanni James Baldwin interview and you got a different take shoot us an email Uh, our email is info at dadjeanspodcast.com you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at dadjeanspodcast and as always if you like what you heard please subscribe share and uh, of course, give us those five. No matter what, whether you like it or not. Yeah, yeah. If you hate us, be like, yo, I hate this podcast. Check it out. And um, <laughs> and I'm gonna come see you. <laughs> right, <one>. right. Uh, <laughs> look, in my Maserati, I'm, I'm gonna send my son over. <laughs> we might be there in 48 days. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, five star reviews. Shoot us those five star reviews. They make a difference. And it's not just that we want five star reviews, but that's the way to communicate to uh, Apple. That podcasts like Dad Jeans are important, are valuable, and that voices like ours need to be amplified. As always, thank you. Stay safe, stay sane, and until next time, peace. Peace. Peace.